This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. Bob Ambrosi is off today, probably stuck in the blizzard of 2007 in Massachusetts. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court, um, and we're going to be talking about several, uh, at least one issue today on uh, Blackwater. North Carolina-based Blackwater Worldwide, formerly Blackwater USA, is the largest private security firm protecting U.S. diplomats in Iraq. In 2004, four Blackwater employees were captured, killed, and burned by a mob in Fallujah. When pictures of their charred bodies surfaced, President Bush ordered a marine assault against the city. In September 2007, 17 Iraqi civilians were allegedly killed by Blackwater security guards while driving through Baghdad. Blackwater has said its convoy was already under attack before it opened fire, but reports issued separately by the Pentagon and the Iraqi government found Blackwater's men were unprovoked before they began shooting. On top of these shooting deaths, Blackwater also faces allegations of illegal arms smuggling and significant tax evasion, charges of steroid use, wrongful death lawsuits brought by families of dead employees and U.S. soldiers, and a federal lawsuit alleging war crimes. Today we're going to discuss the investigation of Blackwater, the legal issues, the effect the use of private contractors is having on the United States, Congress's involvement in Blackwater, and what the future holds for Blackwater and contractors like them. So to get started, I'd like to first welcome our guest, Professor Jordan Paust. Jordan Paust is the Mike and Teresa Baker Law Center Professor at the University of Houston, where he joined the Law Center faculty in 1975 as an international law expert. Professor Paust has written several books and over 150 articles and essays on a wide range of international legal issues, and he's among the most widely cited law professors in the U.S. Professor Paust is also a former JAG, uh, Judge Advocate General Officer in the U.S. Army, and the author of Beyond the Law, the Bush Administration's Unlawful Responses in the War on Terror. Welcome to the show, Professor Paust. A pleasure to be here. And our next guest is Professor Verkeil. Professor of Law at the Cardozo Law School in Yeshiva University and Senior Counsel at Bois, Schiller, and Plexner. Professor Verkeil was the Dean of Cardozo from 1997 through 2001, and after practicing at two leading law firms in New York, he served on the law faculty of the University of North Carolina as Dean of the Tulane Law School and as President of the College of William & Mary. Professor Verkeil was a visiting professor at the University of Pennsylvania and served as special master in the case of New Jersey versus New York involving the sovereignty of Ellis Island. He's a life fellow of the American Bar Foundation and the American Law Institute. He's just published Outsourcing Sovereignty, Why Privatization of Government Functions Threatens Democracy and What We Can Do About It which describes and criticizes the largely overlooked process of using private contractors to perform essential government work. Welcome to the show, Professor Verkeil. Thanks very much. Pleased to be here. Well, today's topic is Blackwater, so let's take a look at this uh, investigation. What do you, the two of you see as the legal issues present in the case? Uh, I 
I guess I can start. I'm an international law professor, and I'm concerned about uh, possible prosecutions under federal statutes that incorporate international law or, or elsewise uh, operate to provide uh, jurisdictional competence. And the the problems concerning prosecution under some statutory regimes. So, generally speaking, what are those problems? Well, um, if there's a political will to prosecute, the first problem is actually a question of political will, because the uh, administration for the last five years has actually furthered a general policy of impunity by refusing to prosecute any person of any nationality under some of the relevant legislation, for example, the War Crimes Act, or alternative legislation that allows prosecution of any violation of the laws of war, the, the torture statute genocide legislation, if the facts fit, and uh, until just recently, legislation permitting prosecution of certain civilians who are employed by or uh, accompany U.S. armed forces abroad. Well, Professor Verkyle, your new book is right on the point. The Bush administration is spending lots of money on private military forces in Iraq. What's your perspective? That's right. Um, my perspective is very much... Uh, on the question of whether this money is properly spent for these kinds of services. My view is, and the title of my book says it all, really, outsourcing sovereignty is what happens when the government hires contractors to do jobs it should be doing itself. These are jobs that are fundamental to the mission of government or to the military in this case. And any time you have contractors who can exercise force, which is what obviously has happened in, in the examples you gave with Blackwater, you have contractors who are acting outside the scope of authority that should be granted to them. Is there a limitation in the Constitution or in, in some legislation that would prevent the government from outsourcing to contractors? That That is a very interesting question and a tough one, and my book takes it on. Uh, I would say this. Uh, it's a very hard line to draw. I do think there are constitutional limitations that um, that really stem basically from from the from the preamble. Uh, you know, it's the we the people, and it's the first job of government is to provide for the common defense. There's another problem, of course, uh, more generally, it's in terms maybe wrapped up in this word accountability. Uh, the administration uh, has its own problems concerning accountability, but are these civilian uh, employees, of, in this case the State Department, other groups are employed by the Department of Defense, are they really accountable on the civil side and in terms of criminal laws? Well, if they're going to do a military function, shouldn't they be accountable to the military? Yeah, that's an interesting point Professor Paust makes about that. Um, you know, currently, the Blackwater's people are hired by the State Department, not by the Department of Defense. In fact, that's a big issue going on now over who should be in charge. The State Department doesn't have the personnel and can't get them there to protect them, so they've expanded Blackwater's role significantly. But this means that they're not, the Blackwater's not covered by the usual contractor rules that apply to a DOD, such as the military extra jurisdictional act, which covers them. And it's certainly not subject to any um, status of forces agreement, which would apply perhaps under Iraq law or other countries. They are prosecutable, though, under uh, relevant war crimes legislation. For example, if they engage in the uh, killing or wounding treacherously of individuals, if the facts fit, 
or the killing or wounding of those who have no means of defense under the 1907 Hague Convention. That's a war crime. And it's picked up under the War Crimes Act, uh, 18 United States Code, Section 2441. But there have been no prosecutions by this administration under that act, even of members of al-Qaeda, actually. Uh, it's, also, it's also a violation of common Article 3 of the Geneva Conventions to engage in violence to life and person, in particular murder of all kinds, of persons taking no active part in hostilities. And uh, that's another type of war crime that could be prosecuted if there was a political will to prosecute. There's been apparently 17 civilians that have been killed uh, and some contractors themselves that have been killed. And I understand that Blackwater is subject to several civil lawsuits in the United States. Have either of you followed those? Yes, uh, you can sue people civilly for war crimes under uh, certain statutes. It depends on the status of the plaintiff. For example, an alien can sue under the Alien Tort Claims Act or Alien Tort Claims Statute for basically any violation of the law of war. And they can sue any person of any status, including, uh, including government officials. That's a federal statute of, long, uh, of, of a long uh, pedigree. Um, there are also possible suits against certain persons under other forms of legislation. Is that sufficient? Well, I don't think that's sufficient. Um, and the Congress is looking at making um, these contractors more responsible for their actions. As it exists now, you didn't mention one instance where a, a Blackwater employee shot and killed a bodyguard of a vice president of, a, of Iraq, and his punishment from, from the company was to lose his bonus and be shipped home. So he's, he's home now somewhere uh, in the United States. Um, and it, it, it's very unlikely that a criminal action can be brought against him, and, and indeed that it could be proved, because after all, the facts are all over in Iraq, and it's going to be very hard to build a case in, in, the, um, in, the, in the courts here in the United States, in the federal courts. So, so a lot of these cases are just going to be difficult to prove. Uh, my feeling really is that unless contractors like Blackwater and others, not just Blackwater, are brought under explicit rules, uh, there's going to be no sense of responsibility in the future. Do we have private contractors because we have a volunteer army and we don't have enough armies? Yeah, I mean, that's really the book's uh, focus is we, we have private contractors in these questionable areas because we are shorthanded on the military. There, there is no doubt about that. And that's largely because we have a military that is, after all, a volunteer military. Uh, it doesn't mean that we should bring back the draft, but it's a consequence of not having a draft that we cannot have adequate people to do the jobs that, that they should be doing themselves. However, we should put this in context. Uh, there's been a tremendous increase in so-called civilian contractors and in, uh, employed in various roles, even concerning interrogation of, of people. There's a lawsuit against uh, certain companies with respect to interrogation at Abu Ghraib, for example. But over the year, over over uh, centuries, we've had civilians accompanying the armed forces abroad, and uh, in some cases being uh, prosecuted in military commissions in theaters of war, or in general courts martials where there's no uh, Fifth Amendment uh, right to not be prosecuted in a general courts martial in time of peace if you're a civilian under Reed versus Covert. Uh, but there is legislation to handle war crimes. There are two sets of legislation to handle that. I think if the Congress is looking 
looking at this matter. They might consider also a, another problem for uh, the United States in terms of its options for prosecution and extradition. And as we uh, might find that individuals are subject to the new International Criminal Court in the future as well, the problems are uh, problems concerning what we call dual criminality. And that's, for example, if we had somebody who's a civilian contractor picked up in Iran and we wanted extradition back to the United States for uh, prosecution for alleged crimes against humanity, we don't have legislation on the books to allow prosecution of crimes against humanity as such. So the foreign country can refuse extradition. If we want to close that gap, we should enact legislation to cover the kinds of crimes that, under international law that individuals could be subject to. Has anyone proposed that kind of legislation? There is a new uh, genocide bill that's just been approved by the House. I think it's been sent to the president just this last week. But it is inadequate because uh, under Section 1093, Paragraph 8, uh, unlike any other genocide legislation, you have to prove in the United States an intent to destroy a group as a viable entity in such a manner that there is a destruction of the group as a viable entity. Adolf Hitler, in his wildest dreams, had that kind of intent, but it would be almost impossible for a prosecutor to prove. There's other kinds of legislation, too, which is simply just criminal legislation, not at the level of Professor Pouts' uh, crimes against humanity, but just simply crimes against people, ordinary criminal uh, situations that can be covered by statute. But, but let me follow up with a point that I think was initially talked about, and that's this question of accountability. I mean, one of the ironies here is that we have people who work on their own with very little supervision, including contractor supervision. And so, and in fact, you mentioned the tax question. Blackwater claims that its employees are independent contractors, not employees. Uh, that's a term of art, right? If they're employees, they have to withhold for them and do other tax treatment. So on the one hand, they're saying, well, our people are independent contractors, but we're in charge of overseeing them. Well, by definition, if they're not employees, their their ability to oversee is vastly limited, and indeed they'd be violating the tax laws if they carried it too far. So they're, in, they're caught in, the, in that little inconsistency, which could be very significant. And as a practical matter, these people go out, they have single-minded mission is to make sure no one in the State Department gets injured. And so when they confront, as they did, and you, you mentioned this, this situation of killing 14 people, their only job is to make sure, and they haven't lost anyone in the State Department, and they're proud of that, as they should be, I suppose. That's their job. But, but everybody else is collateral damage. They have a single-minded mission, whereas the military, you know, the military really has to worry about winning the hearts and minds of Iraqis so they can restabilize this country and we can ultimately leave someday. Uh, and that's, in a way, the contractors are, are fighting against that proposition. Well, that leads to kind of an interesting question and one that I'll pose to Professor Prouse since he was uh, a JAG officer. How did the ground pounders and the military people look at this? I mean, these guys, the contractors, are getting paid handsomely to do essentially the same job. Well, I, I understand from the media, this is all I know uh, in this area, is that there are uh, pressures on active duty people um, to, you know, a per-
personal tension or personal pre- preference pressure, uh, whether or not they want to sign up and, and if the bonuses are adequate or should they go with one of these uh, civilian contractor groups. That's that's very hurtful, of course, of the whole notion of a volunteer army. Um, moreover, I'd like to add a point. Some, some of these uh, claims concerning uh, unlawful killings have involved alleged uh, errant behavior by individuals uh, outside of the scope of what the company preferred, obviously, that individuals were acting on their own. This, this raises another problem, of course, in terms of accountability and whether the company is adequately supervising their personnel. But there's another interesting dilemma here, and the legal question, uh, the reach of Iraqi law. Uh, there's some allegations of an immunity for U.S. nationals, but does it reach these civilian contractors? And and what about the future? What if we're involved in a military operation in country X, and we don't have any agreement with the regime in country X concerning immunity? Do we have legislation here that allows prosecution here, or are these individuals just hung out to dry under the uh, domestic systems with domestic procedures in those foreign countries? Is Iraq entitled to prosecute the crimes that they perceive these Elsewise, uh, this occurs on their territory. Yes, the Rocky law would apply. Plus yeah, but, but there defenses. is a man. I'm, I'm just wanted to say there is an immunity agreement that the U.S., through Paul Bremer, required the Iraqis to sign before they brought these contractors in. So I think up to now they could not be prosecuted under Iraqi law by Iraqi courts. Uh, and indeed, you know, you could understand why that was set up originally in order to encourage the contractors to come, I suppose. But th- that kind of agreement doesn't operate in other countries is a problem, too. Yes. Yeah. But on the other hand, these guys are doing a job that they've been asked to do, they're being paid to do, uh, and doing it well, apparently, with the exception of some several glitches. I don't know if I want to be- make light of, you know, killing people is a glitch, but definitely something that... Uh, it, the people that go and investigate it from the FBI and from other federal agencies, they can't put the evidence together now because it's so far out, and they don't—they just—they don't have the same kind of environment that we have here in the United States. So how how is how is regulation even possible? Well, it's very hard, which is my point, basically. If it's so hard to regulate, it shouldn't be done at all by private contractors. The ordinary contractor, and there are plenty of them, there are more contractors in Iraq than there are military. There are about 180,000 of them. But only about 30,000 do this security contract work, which is use of force work. And if they're doing that kind of work, they're the ones who have all the problems, right? So that simply ought to be an indicator to the government that those roles should be performed directly by government itself, by the military, or by civilians who are employed by government, who are truly employees and under the supervision and, and control of government, not by contractors who have this, uh, this uh, tendency uh, to, uh, you know, have limited views of the world. It's a very specific mission. There's another interesting aspect of this. Um, To the extent that the United States is a military occupying power in a particular country or any portion of that country, and under international law, that's where we have effective control over any portion of a country during an armed conflict, the military commander is responsible for the conduct even of these civilian contractors if he knew or should have known what's going on, had an opportunity to act and didn't uh, take reasonable corrective action under principles of dereliction of duty. They don't have to be directly under his his command, but they are. Uh, I mean, he's the 
the military commander is really a commander of the field operations, and these people are actually uh, arguably accompanying the armed forces in the sense that they're involved in widespread use in active theaters of war to perform security functions to serve and supplement the overall mission of the military. So there's an interesting angle here concerning command responsibility as well. We've reached a point in time in our program where it's time for us to take a short break. Uh, We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Lawyer to Lawyer is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. Did you know that Legal Talk Network podcasts are also available as CLE? Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's clecenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Check out our Lawyer to Lawyer host blogs, J. Craig Williams' blog at mayapleasetheport.com, likewise Robert Ambrogi's blog at legalline.com for daily legal observations, perspective, and, of course, a healthy dose of humor and wit. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams, and I'm back with our guests today, Professor Jordan Paust, law professor at the University of Houston, and Professor Paul Verkeil, professor of law at Cardozo Law School, Yeshiva University. And we're discussing the investigation of Blackwater, uh, a private security firm protecting U.S. diplomats in Iraq. Some people have classified Blackwater and the other private contractors doing this defense work as mercenaries. Is is that a fair characterization? It's not one that they like, I must say, but it's um, a term that we are familiar with in United States history, uh, going back to the Hessians. 
that the problem is under international law, which is also part of the law of the United States, uh, the term mercenary is defined in a mercenarism convention. And uh, if you're employed by a state, as these uh, particular contractors are, you're, you cannot be an, a mercenary, actually. You know, one one problem here we're not focusing on is also, you might call it the political or the foreign policy problem that goes back to what Paul Verkyle was talking about in terms of accountability more generally. Uh, if you've got Blackwater convoys roaring through the streets of Iraq, uh, ignoring traffic laws and crashing into cars at times and shooting people at times, this conduct... Uh, is very hurtful of our foreign policy interests. And it actually symbolizes a lack of law and order and safety uh, in Iraq. So the the ultimate ugly American? It's a problem of any occupying power, actually, too. But uh, if these people are more out of control than your own military, uh, it's hurtful of our overall military mission and our foreign policy efforts. So, Professor Verkyle, what's the solution? To cut back on the missions of private contractors who perform services for the military, okay, to clarify. And there's clear rules that are set up by the Office of Management and Budget, which say that, quote, inherent government functions, unquote, are to be performed by the government, not contracted out. And inherent functions, which is a a hard thing to, to, uh, to identify, but it does include the use of force, and I think it's very clear that what we could do is Blackwater has many missions it could perform. It has training functions, logistical functions. It does a good job. It's down now in Southern California, try see trying to build a new center to train people um, for the border operations. That's that's okay. Training is, I think, okay. But it's when you carry weapons and, and have attack helicopters and are performing military missions that you've crossed a line that the government can't afford to let uh, to ignore any longer. Um, in other words, Blackwater is not the cause. It, it's a symptom of a problem that government has that it should cure, and Blackwater should be kept in line, literally. Uh, actually, I'm frightened by what Paul just said. Blackwater is going to be patrolling our borders with helicopters. Well, did you really, using I don't weapons. know, but I just read the Times, and there's yeah. a, there's a, they're building a big camp down in um, some place called Potrero, California, where they want to do training for all the uh, border patrol um, so they're, they're, they've, they've got a $15 billion counter-narcotics contract, according to this story, which uh, de- deals not only, obviously, with the U.S., but also in, in other countries like Colombia, Peru, and so forth, to my knowledge. Uh, that's where we do counter-narcotics. That brings up the issue of whether we're going to see private security firms uh, like Blackwater in the United States, and to some degree we have them already. I mean, there are people that have bodyguards and there are other uh, types of security protections that exist, and uh, there are several famous ones. But are we expecting to see a growth of uh, private security firms here in the United States? And if they do, what kind of rules apply to them here? Well, here the rules are a lot clearer. There is no such immunity from suit as there is in Iraq. And they are, after all, if they do violate the law, you can build a case against them. So it's a lot more controllable. Um, I don't know whether 
Blackwater is doing military uh, security work in the United States. I was in Katrina, and we certainly saw them in operation down there, and there was some question about whether they were patrolling the streets, but I don't think that's where the future will lie. We're going to keep our, I trust we'll keep our public police force at work in the, at the state and local level, uh, even if they're trained, and in fact, by, by people like Blackwater. And this might be some kind of conspiratorial end run of the Posse Comitatus Act. <laughs> and what's the Posse Comitatus Act? Well, it prevents the military, quote-unquote, from uh, engaging in normal police functions. And, and uh, uh, of course, you can, the governor can call out the National Guard, etc. But if these people, these, a lot of these people are obviously former military, and... Uh, the word mercenarism doesn't fit, but uh, it, it's you know it it's presents this problem of of people that look a lot like military running about the streets of California. Well, I understand that it's uh, looking like Congress will pass a six hundred ninety six billion dollar defense policy bill that's going to require uh, Blackwater and private security contractors in a war zone to comply with military regulations and other orders that. Uh, commander's issue. Is that going to help solve the problem? That would provide at least command control that's quite clear and direct with congressional approval, although I was talking about uh, command uh, liability elsewise anyway in certain circumstances where there's an occupation regime and the military commander's in charge of that occupation regime. Well, the military liability is dramatically different than private security liability, right? Um, no, not really in terms of what, in my area at least, uh, any civilian or military person, any member of al-Qaeda who violates common Article 3 of the Geneva Conventions is committing a war crime, uh, regardless of purpose, regardless of status. Well, let's take a look back at the charges that have been filed against uh, Blackwater. What's the status of those? Do you think they're going to be continued to be prosecuted? Do you think the case will be dropped and forgotten? Well, I'm not sure that any charges have been uh, even contemplated for war crimes, uh, for example. I think only under the Military Extraterritorial Jurisdiction Act have, have there been any investigation at all, uh, and that only most recently. You may be thinking of the uh, private actions that have been brought, um, but not they're not government actions. There was a U.S. attorney, I think, in Seattle who was thinking about prosecuting somebody under the uh, Military Extraterritorial Jurisdiction Act. Right. Well, we've reached the end of the program, and so it's time to wrap up and get your final thoughts about the points that we've been discussing and give you a chance to both promote your respective books and uh, tell our listeners where they can contact you and buy your book. Well, I'll start with my book, uh, Beyond the Law, Cambridge University Press at www.cambridge.org, and it demonstrates the uh, lack of accountability, the the failure within the Bush administration to enforce laws adequately, which leads to serious uh, domestic and foreign affairs concerns, especially when the president argues, as documented in my book, that he's beyond international law and that he can violate any relevant act of Congress, which is complete nonsense. And how can our listeners get a hold of you? Uh, www.central.uh.edu. And Professor Verkeil. Well, my book is also published by Cambridge Press. I I didn't realize that Jordan had one as well, but uh, it's called Outsourcing Sovereignty. It's available on Amazon at the bargain price of $19.99, I believe. And um, it is really uh, 
taking on this overall question of why government has the responsibility to govern and cannot delegate certain functions, in particular military functions, and others that are that are at, at the core of the responsibility of government. So that, that's my theme, and it, I play it not only through Blackwater, but also at, through Katrina and, uh, and other uh, kinds of contracting that's done by and for government um, in, in interesting areas as well in the civilian sector. You can reach me uh, at uh, the Cardozo website is actually my name, Verkuyl, V-E-R-K-U-I-L, at yu.edu. Wonderful. Well, thank both of you for joining us today on Lawyer to Lawyer and uh, Professor Jordan Proust, law professor from the University of Houston, and Professor Paul Verkyle, professor of law at Cardoza Law School, Yeshiva University. Both thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy it. And to our listeners, thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer. We will see you again next week, and Bob Ambrosi will be back. Thanks again for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.